Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I begin, I invite you to suspend any thoughts you may currently have and travel back in time. Travel back in time all the way to Moses. God has chosen Moses, an elderly, stammering, reluctant leader. God has miraculously split the waters of the Red Sea so that his people can walk through on dry ground and their enemies be swallowed up by the waters. He has brought them to Mount Sinai and has called Moses up the mountain so that he can give him the law. But now, by this time, Moses has been up the mountain for so long, chatting it up with God, that the people have gathered around his brother Aaron, encouraging him to make gods for them who will go before them to the promised land. As for the fellow Moses who brought them out of Egypt, they don't know what's happened to him. Aaron responds by telling them to take off their gold earrings of their wives, their sons, and daughters and bring them to him. All the people bring their jewelry to Aaron, and he has a brilliant idea to make a golden calf out of these earrings. And he says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And then he proceeds to build an altar in front of the calf, and they sacrifice, present fellowship offerings, and throw a party. Meanwhile, Moses is still up on the mountain talking with God, and God says, you've got to go down right now because there's a real problem. And then he proceeds to say, but I'm going to go ahead and destroy them because they're stubborn. They're pretty terrible people, and I can't handle this. He says instead that he's going to make Moses into a great nation. But Moses doesn't like this for a number of reasons. God has made a promise, a covenant, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, or Israel. And so, actually, God's reputation is on the line here. So God can't destroy the people. He can't bring disaster on the people. So, God concedes, and he doesn't destroy the people. Moses descends the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law, and then he sees the calf and hears the singing and sees the dancing, and his anger burns. He throws the tablets, breaking them into pieces, and he takes the calf and burns it in the fire, grinds it up, throws it on the water, and makes them drink it. Then he calls all the people who fear the Lord to come to him so that they can put to the sword everyone else and he says that God tells him to do this, which interestingly, interestingly enough, we never hear God saying. However, they obey Moses, and 3,000 are slain that day. Fast forward a few more verses, and in chapter 33, the Lord has another conversation with Moses. He tells Moses to leave, to go to the land that God has promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He'll send an angel before them, who's going to drive out their enemies so that they can get into the land and be successful. But God himself won't go with them because he might just kill them along the way. 
Fast forward a few more verses, and Moses pitches a tent to meet with God. And a cloud appears, and God descends to meet with Moses. Moses decides to give God a piece of his mind. This plan that God's just outlined, it's unacceptable. God has chosen this people and, give, and promised to give them the promised land. So how in the world can they be God's people if he doesn't go with them, if his presence refuses to go with them? In the message paraphrase, we, Moses says, Look, you tell me, lead this people, but you don't tell me whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well, and you are special to me. If I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way, I can continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. And then God concedes, but just a little bit. Lutheran professor Catherine Schifferdecker suggests that our translation in the NIV is a little too generous in verse 14. Our translation says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Except in the Hebrew original, it doesn't include the words with you. God simply says, I will go, and I will give you rest. God is not very specific in this promise. This is why Moses isn't willing to let the argument end. This is why Moses keeps pushing God. Like a dog with a bone, Moses insists that God be explicit with God's promises. He can't just go. He's got to go with them. Moses tells God that God's presence is critical to this entire venture. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of the face of the earth? Don't you think these bargaining prayers are really fascinating? I'm really curious how you're interacting with this. So raise your hand if you think that Moses here is being too bold. Okay? Raise your hand if you're impressed by Moses and you wish your prayer life looked like this. Okay, raise your hand if your prayer life does look like this. Okay, all right, interesting. Moses is not afraid to scratch and claw, and God rewards him for it. God promises his presence as they journey on because he is pleased with Moses, and he knows Moses by name. But Moses isn't finished. As Schifferdecker writes, it's no small thing to persuade the creator of the universe to change his mind. So Moses decides to push just a little bit further. He tells God to show him his glory. He wants to see God. Now this is where I thought Moses went too far. A little selfish maybe, pushy, out of line, kind of annoying. He gets what he wants and that's not enough. He demands more from God. But as I, as I was sitting with this and marinating with this, I began to be more and more impressed 
with Moses. Moses already has conversations with God as one speaks with a friend. That's already pretty impressive. Then he pushes God and bargains with him. He's not satisfied to go to the land of milk and honey, the land that everyone would want without God. He needs God's presence and desires true intimacy with God. Moses speaks with God as with a friend, and he wants to see him too. In a truly incredible response, God doesn't say that Moses is asking for too much. He wants to show himself to Moses, but he can't fully, not without Moses dying. But what he can do is he can have all of his goodness pass by Moses. He can speak his name, which is an incredible expression of vulnerability, and he can show him his back. That's the most he can do without Moses dying. So that's exactly what he does. He shows all of his goodness before Moses, speaks his name, and shows him his back. What if you and I had this kind of expectation, this kind of confidence when we prayed? What if you and I longed for the presence of God more than anything else in the whole world? Perhaps for some of us, the Christian life tends to seem more like an agreement to a set of beliefs and then acting as the kindest person you ever knew. So mental assent and behavior modification. There's nothing much personal about it. You pay your dues and you hope that God pays attention until finally, hopefully, one day you achieve your goal of flitting off to heaven, whatever that means. It's no wonder the church is in decline in the United States. If all it is is mental assent and behavior modification, and many of the people who are part of this club are the worst behaved people you've ever seen, who would want to be a part of that? Not me. But the wonderful thing is that the invitation of Scripture is something really different from that. We hear of Abraham who hears the voice of God for the first time at the age of 74, calling him to go. Just go, and God will tell him where. We hear of Moses, an elderly man, who speaks with God as with a friend. We hear of David, a handsome man who has his own problems because of it. Too much power at times, carries a lot of baggage, yet he's the very one God describes as the man after his own heart. We hear of Mary, a girl who has found favor with God, who becomes the mother of God. We hear of Jesus, her son, who is somehow miraculously fully God and fully human in a way that we can't ever fully comprehend, who lives and dies for the salvation of all people. And before he returns to the Father, he promises the gift, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who will be with his people and guide them into all truth. Throughout scripture, we hear stories of relationship, not mental assent and behavior modification or joining some sort of boring club. We hear stories of God continually finding a way to be with God's people, not because they're worthy, but because he desires a relationship. He continues to find a way, any way God can, 
so that God can be with his people because he loves what he's created. He loves you and wants a relationship with you. So what does this look like? It means speaking with God as one speaks with a friend. So it means being honest, listening, asking questions, finding out what God's like, expressing all the feelings, anger, joy, sadness, humiliation, boredom, hope, wanting even greater intimacy, being shaped by your relationship and becoming more fully yourself. It takes a lot of courage to open yourself up like this to God, to make yourself this vulnerable. As individualistic Americans, we have so little experience opening ourselves up to one another in vulnerable relationship. It's no wonder we struggle to be vulnerable with God. How do we do this? Sixteen years ago, I studied abroad in Lithuania at a small international school. I was in the middle of a conversation, and I believe it was a student from Moldova who felt provoked to say this, and I, I honestly don't remember what, what came before, but he, he said this, you Americans don't ever think you need anyone. To which I replied, I don't. I don't need anyone. <laughs> and I meant it. I felt like I was an independent person who could make decisions on my own. Look, I'm out here way in the middle of nowhere, for goodness sake. But as I continued to think about our conversation over the next days, months, and years, I realized that not only was my statement untrue, of course I need other people, but it wasn't healthy either. No one is meant to go this life alone. No one is meant to be an island. You and I were created to be in relationship with one another and with God. Relationship. That's why this upcoming transition will not be easy for me. Though I deeply believe that God is calling me into a new season, it's not going to be like turning the page of a book to a new chapter. It's not that simple. It'll require a lot more processing for me. Being a pastor of a congregation is not an exchange of goods and ideas. I don't set the table and you eat it and then you thank me for it and I go my merry way. It's more like becoming a part of one another's family and being shaped in relationship with one another. It's a recognition of everyone's role in the body of Christ in fulfilling our calling and following the master shepherd. This, this transition is a reminder of how much you have shaped me and opened me to the love of God. I'm thankful for this relationship that we have formed and thankful that even these very human relationships open us to the love of God. And I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is not a rule book, 
I'm so thankful for that. I don't know how I would follow that many rules. God, we thank you that it is not a rule book, but an expression of who you are and who we are and how we can have relationship with one another. We thank you for sending your only son to die for us so that we could be in relationship with one another, so that we don't need to continue to sacrifice in order to be made right with you, but that you have made us right with yourself because of Jesus. We thank you for this incredible gift, and we thank you for the gift of relationship with you and with one another, and thank you that that our relationships with one another help shape us and open us to your love for us. We pray that you would continue to guide, guide us and strengthen us and keep us faithful. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.